Hi, I'm Reverend Carol Saunders, host of The Spiritual Forum. I'm here with a lot of interesting people who are consciously walking the spiritual path, experiencing and expressing the divine in unique ways and through unique lenses. Everyone here has wisdom to share and an interesting story to tell, all to inspire you on your spiritual path. Welcome to The Forum. Welcome, everyone, to The Spiritual Forum. So glad you're here today. Ah, what do I want to tell you? I think I want to remind people of the Whole Planet Spirituality Retreat, Forum and Retreat, that I am co-sponsoring with Compassion Consortium, and it's going to be at Unity Village, October 28th through 31st. And if you're interested in learning more about Whole Planet Spirituality and what that is and how to become uh, an, the embodiment of that, you can go to the spiritualforum.org slash retreat. Um, anything else, um, just sure appreciate it if you'd you'd pass this podcast on to any of your friends and family to get it out there in the world. We're a voice of awakening. So today I have with us Marae Hieronymus. And Marae spent her life submerging herself in a tapestry of creative healing, movement, and performing arts. She was born into a family of seekers and artists at a commune in Baltimore, Maryland, and spent her childhood surrounded by mystical teachings, a reverence for the earth, and a love of dance. The tapestry of her work consists of three parts. First, the reclamation of the body as sacred. Second, the reemergence of the feminine. And third, remembrance of the power of ritual and ceremony. Murray offered Sacred Body weekly online classes and private sessions on embodied movement and healing. And in the last year and a half, she's authored three books, Path of Remembrance, Vision for a New Earth, Systems of Indoctrination and the Wild Rose of the Soul, and Majesty of the Wild, Writings on Freedom. Welcome, Murray. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, Thank you. it's great to have you. And as I was looking at these book titles, I Anybody who listens to my podcast know I talk about indoctrination a lot <laughs> and just kind of awakening from indoctrination. So I was really, really intrigued by the title of that one. Um, so I also, I'm very intrigued by your childhood because, I mean, who doesn't want to grow up surrounded by mystical teachings? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, I feel there was a, a lot of blessings in my life um, early on. And I think that was one of them was the the coming into a family that was uh, really, really very quite spiritual and uh, created, there was a whole group of people that created a, a space where they were uh, working and teaching and living closer to the earth. And, uh, and then my, the school that I, I went to also came out of that, which was a Waldorf school, which is now the Waldorf School of Baltimore. Uh, and there was a lot of wonderful people in that place. Of course, it broke apart very early in my childhood, as those things do. But uh, the 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 template of that holds, and I have a lot of beautiful memories. We had a wonderful library, and I had a lot of have a lot of beautiful memories of going into the library, which I really loved. And um, before I could read and, and taking books and looking through these, these books, which were all on mystical teachings and yoga, and it was, it was really infused into the air there. And so this was really a special place for me. 
That's so interesting. I mean, I think about my own childhood was not at all like that, except I grew up in Northern California and I spent my entire childhood outdoors. Mm -hmm. I mean, we were in the streams and the mountains and the hills and the fields and, you know, with animals. And it, it was just, it was just, that was what we were because the, the weather was so good. We didn't have like, my children were raised in Houston. It's just so hot there. And they were kind of raised in a lot of air conditioning, but being in Northern California, it was, and, and it is back in the sixties too, where, <laughs> you know, you could be gone all day and, and mom wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't worry about you. Yeah. Even, even, in, even during the years of the Zodiac killer, because the Zodiac killer was <laughs> there, <you know? laughs> we just read really, really freely. But I grew up in a very non-religious environment, non-mystical, but but, you know, found my way, like there's something in me that just kind of found my way to it. But yeah. how wonderful it would be to just, you know, go have a library of mystical teachings and people who were practicing. Yeah, you know, it's, I think we all have such incredible and unique paths. And for me, it was bolstering. And for someone else, it may not be, you know, and each, each person is so unique in their, in their development and place and what it is that, that our soul needs, I think. And, um, and so for me, it served to inspire me, but, but for this, you know, for another person that, you know, it may, they may reject everything. And there was a lot to reject as well. I don't mean to paint a picture that was absolutely perfect because it, it, it sure wasn't, but the seeds were there that were planting for me, a fertile life in creation that was rich with, uh, with beauty, with, uh, and the, the searching of, uh, truth for seeking and creation, which are all in my feeling, these are really ways of connecting into the spirit world, ways of connecting to one's own spiritual nature. And uh, so these, these, so that foundation really was supportive for me. Yeah. I, th I think you make a really good point that somebody else could be dropped in the middle of that and want to do something completely different, want to get out of it. And our souls, if you listen to our souls, we listen to the, the, the depth of our being, it's like, you know, we'll be guided, we'll be guided to the right place. And I know for me, I went way far away from mm -hmm. the earth and, you know, my soul's desires in, in my, my early career. And, um, you know, and I'm finding my way back. And I think, I just think the journey is just interesting in that way. It, it, you, you find yourself kind of satisfied in a place and you don't really know why, but if you listen, you know, you'll, your soul will, will bring you to, to where, where your, your higher self is intended you to go. Mm -hmm. um, so let's, yeah. let's talk about how, what you're doing now and how you've, you're kind of um, integrating this beauty, truth, seeking and creation in your work and your life. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, uh, I am by trade. I, I am an artist. I, uh, I'm a dancer and also I, I studied painting though. I left that long ago. Um, though I enjoy that image making, but I, so my path really started in that way was this soul calling for creation to live a creative life. 
And, and so that really was where I was moved to go and moved to be. And that, that directed me into uh, the dance world, which, <laughs> which is, it's a, a tricky world because, uh, because it's a world that exists within uh, the structures of our culture, which are fundamentally devoid of spirit. It, they, we, we really have locked that out. And yet the act of dance for me was always a deeply spiritual experience. It's an experience where I felt for the first time my own, the, my own sort of ecstatic nature of my own being, the ecstatic nature of my life force, that I was whole all unto myself, that I didn't need to uh, be anyone else, but who I am evolving to be, that I could claim my own energy and I could be beautiful in that. And when I say beautiful, I don't mean in the ways and forms that our culture is projected today, but I mean, truly the, the beauty of the depth that comes through, through a true life experience and through being honest with ourselves and the path that we're on through that deep inner listening, which you were mentioning before, when we truly listen inward to our own inner being, we begin to hear the voice of the soul calling us, directing us where to go. And this is very different from, of course, the outer voice, which will tell us, you know, we need to do this and that and the other to fit into a society which is not supportive of a spiritual life, actually. So, so my soul was very much directed into dance as an ecstatic experience, as a way to communicate my love for uh, the world, for the earth, for nature, and as a way also to work with healing. And to work with my own healing, to feel my own pain, to feel my own trauma, and and to work to alchemize it, to transmute it through the path of movement. And that really has been my own, not my sacred path. And, uh, and that path has taken me into a lot of different studies. I, I've studied, of course, dance and also uh, somatic practice has been a huge influence. Feldenkrais awareness through movement, Alexander technique, Laban movement analysis, skin releasing, all of these beautiful bodies of work that are really about sinking into the wisdom body and the, the life of the soul inside of the body ultimately. And so that, uh, and then that really directed me further into creation and into art making and um, and, and where I am now, I'm also a mother. So that has also been added into that. And, and primarily that's what I am now, although I do teach and I hold sacred ceremony for women. Uh, but uh, I take the path of, of my, of motherhood as, a, as my greatest path right now. And in taking care of my, my child who is, who is still young. So yeah, not quite in school. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully, you know, I, I've had a lot of awakenings during the last two years since during the, the COVID years. And what, one of them was really about our education system. And for me, 
for me, I could see how I was indoctrinated. I mean, I can see that. I I played the good student and I played the, okay, I'm going to get the corporate job. That's what I, I, I was a cookie cutter. I mean, I went through the cookie cutter thing. It's like, okay, I'm going to go to college and get the corporate job. And I did it for like 20 years. And yeah. it wasn't, it wasn't until recently I woke up. I'm like, what the heck? What if somebody had talked to me about my soul's true desires? You know, what if somebody had talked to me about how can I express beauty? Mm. What if somebody talked to me about um, somatic practices or, you know, the wisdom of my body, all yeah. that was so completely lacking. Yeah. And so hopefully I'm, I'm sure you're going to be a great influence on your son <laughs> growing up <laughs> and be mindful of what the education system is doing. <laughs> yes, it is really an incredible moment in time. And all of us have had a lot of awakening experiences, I think in these last years, um, as we've as we've really watched so much transform in such a short amount of time in our lives. And um, yeah, it's, it's an incredible moment. Yeah, it really is. Now you've, you've mentioned in your writing about that we're living through an incredible time of transition. I'm really interested in, in how you see that. I, I feel the same way. I know there's a lot of people who think that, you know, COVID's kind of over and things are going back to normal. Mm -hmm. And I don't see it that way. I, I see that we've crossed some threshold that we're not going back to whatever it was before. And that's not necessarily a good thing or a bad thing. I think it's just a true thing. Um, but I'm interested in what you think this mm -hmm. time of transition is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel that this is a really cusp moment in time and not just me, but many people feel this way. It's also highly prophesized in, in a lot of in a lot of different cultures. And but I'll speak from my own sight and experience. Uh, what I see is that we are really at a cusp moment where the we're really in a moment that we are being asked to choose between two paths, and those paths are very clear to me. The, the first path is the path of nature, the path of the organic, the path of uh, divinity, I would say, from a, a, uh, from a perspective of spirit. The other path, I would say, is, the, is really the transhuman path. And this is the path that's moving into the emergence of man and machine or human and machine. And this is the path that's moving away from nature. And I understand that in saying this, this sounds can sound very uh, strange to someone. Uh, this can sound almost like science fiction. But the reality is, is this is where we are right now. And when we have the ability to step back, this is actually where our culture has taken us. And we are right at the cusp of this moment in time. In fact, it's already happened, but, but we're right at this cusp where, where I believe it's imperative that we begin to become more and more conscious of this, as, of, that this is actually what is occurring. It's already occurring, this emergence of man and machine. And, and, and I think that this is a choice that we have a choice between these two ways of being engaging the world and, and life. And I would say that the path of the machine 
is really a path that is anti-nature and in its ultimate form, it is anti-divine actually, because, because what is beginning to happen within that path is that we are beginning to play God actually. We're beginning to believe that we are the uh, create the, the creators of life through this emergence of man and machine. And to me, this feels um, like something to be very wary of. And I really hope that people can begin to, uh, to become more and more conscious of this moment so that the choices that they make are conscious choices, that you aren't just moving along one direction or the other without really knowing what you're doing because this is actually what's happening. And we already have the, um, the wearables. You know, this is the in-between phase where we have, we have these wearables of technology, whether they be the watches or the glasses or whatever else. And the next step, absolutely, unequivocally, the next step is moving to pierce the skin. That mm-hmm. is what is happening. And so people can talk about that as science fiction, or, but, it's, but it's not. This is the actuality of, of the next step. It will happen within, you know, it's already happened, actually. They've already pierced the skin. But in larger degrees, this is going to be happening over the next 10, 15, 20 years. And it's something to be extremely aware of. So someone, so, so for me, I think my movement into speaking more and more about this has really grown from the body of work that I do which is really based upon, I call it the sacred body and the sacred technology of the body, the, the, the technology, which is nature's technology, which is already, which is living within our own skin and bones and within the DNA and within the, the sacred spine that moves from this from the base to the crown of the head. And this is, you know, what is actually from the yogic perspective, which is a lot of what I teach from, but not just the yogic perspective from mystic Christianity and many other schools of mystical thought. This is, uh, this is the awakening channel. And this is a technology. And we can work with this technology of the body and it is a profound technology far beyond the technology that we're tinkering with right now so this is yeah i mean the the idea that we had this sacred technology of the body that we we're trained to completely ignore that i mean we're trained to pop a pill you know get a shot we're trained we're trained like i don't you know i don't feel well and rather than what's going on in my body that is out of order what what do i need to do to restore order we're like i don't have time for that i i need to get some medicine but we're so conditioned to that we've conditioned ourselves and and that's another huge awakening i've had i mean i i talk about how i thought i was awake before but i'm so much more awake now just this dependency on something outside of our bodies to make our bodies feel better and how yeah. could something outside of our bodies ever make our bodies feel better. Yeah. I mean, it can temporarily do it, but then you're putting all this other stuff in there that your body's going to have to like purge in some way. And so I've kind of learned that every time I put in something that isn't what the technology of my body is naturally feeds upon, 
that yeah. it's like some kind of waste that that is going to end up kind of building up. And that's probably what's causing my sickness. Absolutely. And it's the blockage. It's the it's the blockage of the not only the flow, the, the flow of the lymph, the flow of the blood, but the flow of the energy, the, the vital life force. So we're, you know, in in sort of yoga and all and and also the myst, the mystical sort of understanding of the body is that the body is so I'll say that our culture sees the body as one thing. It is a physical body. Yeah. And, and we even talk, and even in, in new age speak and all this, we talk about the body and the mind as, as if they were as if they're different. Yeah. As if they were two different entities, the body, mind, and spirit. Right. <laughs> but, the Holy Trinity. <laughs> right. These, these bodies are interrelated. And this is what we have not been taught to understand is that, that our bodies are they they are at different sort of levels of density from these mystical understandings from the, and when you really begin to work with your body you feel that because you you understand that uh, your emotion which is more subtle than the physical body directly affects your physical experience and your thoughts directly affect this is because it's not just that they're related they are actually different layers of the same experience they are they they're moving from subtle to dense from subtle to gross from spirit into matter and this is the way that we emanate this is the way that the soul emanates into the into the body into the physical and it it descends it moves into matter and it animates matter and our and our bodies are expressions of these templates these sacred templates of our being and this is really what uh what i what is meant through um through the work that i do around the sacred bodies is reinfusing the the notion that the body is actually a sacred expression it, of of our soul and ultimately of our spirit, and these these are interchangeable, and that that when we are sick, these symptoms have meaning. They have they emanate from a subtler realm, and it's important to learn to know uh, and to come into greater, deeper understanding of what these symptoms are are speaking of, uh, and we can and truly work with those symptoms to to alleviate our illness. And, you know, and I'll never say that modern medicine, allopathic medicine doesn't have a place. It does have mm -hmm. a place. It's an incredible um, emergency medicine, incredible, but it has- Great for broken bones. <laughs> great for broken bones. And if you need an antibiotic or a steroid, you know, really quick acting, these are, it's phenomenal. But in the longer spectrum, we've really lost our connection into actually the roots of healing. And this is a culture, we are living in a culture that has been divorced. We have divorced ourselves from nature. We have divorced ourselves from the process of healing. We are asked to live more and more increasingly mechanical lives, which is really feeding us into this transhumanist world. And so, uh, 
regardless of what you believe around it, it's a, it's important to be able to step back and see this is actually what's occurring. Yeah, I I I've said many times on my podcast that I, I was wondering what you're going to say about the two paths because I've said the same thing. I said we we're facing this fork in the road, and one path is. Um, I don't really call it going back to nature as much as just remembering, yeah, remembering our connection and remembering our, you know, original. I'm really very fixated on the story of Genesis because mm-hmm. I, I believe that it's there's a validity to that story, whether it's literally happened or not. There's a validity that that story's been told over and over again, and that our original, the original intention for us was to be in community and harmony with all creatures. Nobody's violent. Nobody's eating each other. And we are caretakers. We are stewards. We are we are the ones who are to, to ensure that everybody's taken care of. And, and then, you know, so we left that. And, na- and ultimately, we're going to be, we ultimately, when you leave that, you're going to end up facing this fork in the road probably over and over again. But it's, it's very clear right now. And I don't know that that many people, even when I say it, we're moving towards transhumanism. Like what? <laughs> but yeah. it, it's definitely, it's definitely happening. And we're also moving towards um, just mechanization and monitoring of us and the data collection. And I was listening to a speech earlier today of somebody talking about, um, you know, all the towers going up and how how there's going to be this um, facial recognition technology that's going to impact our ability to um, use our, you know, spend or move or whatever. And some people, you could say, you know, some of that's good, you know, some of that's good, but I think it's always going to look kind of good at first. And then at some point it's like, okay, now, but is this even the right direction for us? You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, I came to this conclusion and I'm just going to bounce this off you because you'll be the first one who's heard this. I've been thinking, you know, like our culture is doing this, corporations are doing this, governments are doing this. But I kind of came to the realization this morning, or I'm playing with it, that because we aren't embodying our divine nature, because we've ignored that, or we've left it, or we've forgotten that, Mm -hmm. that we've kind of created this culture to control us because. I mean, our divine nature would make all the right choices. If we were living in the divine, we would make the right choices for the earth and the animals and everything, our bodies, our bodies. We would have healthy bodies. But because we haven't done that, we've we've kind of reneged on that responsibility. We've kind of collectively created the society that's going to impose on us mm-hmm. that we behave a certain way. Mm-hmm. And it's because mm-hmm. it's because we've ignored our divine nature. And so I don't know if that's making any sense to you or not. Yeah, that resonates. uh, Definitely. I feel that our culture is uh, entirely mechanistic at this point. And that really hit home for me. Um, I've always felt that way. I've always had a kind of a very standoffish relationship to our, uh, to to the dominant culture, I would say. Um, I've stayed away from it personally. Um, and I lived my life doing, making art and teaching and, you know, teaching, I loved teaching, uh, children, uh, you know, college and high school, because that, that's such a cusp time where I felt like I could really, 
give, you know, put little seeds of ideas into to, to these young adults' minds to begin to perhaps give fertile ground for, for, for the conception of another experience in relationship to the world. Uh, I, but one of the ways that I really felt that I, that I saw the, the incredible mechanisms and control and insanity around our culture was when I became a mother, actually. And not only the birthing process, which is just full of, of a lot of insanity, uh, but then as you move into early motherhood, First of all, no one can afford to to be home and to nurture their child unless you have enormous amounts of money and or, you know, you really live like borderline on uh, uh, in poverty. And then, you you know, women are asked to go back to work so soon. Oh, yeah. And then there and then, you know, if you breastfeed your child, you're expected to bring around this pump. Yeah, and I you cannot imagine it's it's the most bizarre thing. What are we a machine? You know, you're supposed to pump your breasts. Yeah, uh, and you have to do it if you want to keep up your milk supply. Now I didn't do it really because I I, I made a choice to stay at home, and I was um, I was very lucky to do that to stay at home for uh, as long as I could, and then when I went out back teaching, I I only did it in short amount of times. But but really witnessing the way that the culture from the very beginning, from the very, very beginning, is essentially robbing us of our or of our humanity. I mean, robbing a child of their mother, countless human beings, uh, many of them forced to to put their children into child care so that they can support their family and their family and their life their lifestyle. And also, uh, instead of supporting women to actually enjoy that first period of, of their child's life, then we are, uh, you know, they're really also kind of pushed to, you can do it all now. Yeah. You can, well. <laughs> you can do it all. You can, and no woman can do it all and you will go crazy. And so this is where I really thought, wow, this is what we're doing to our women. This is what we're doing. This and and it's I I found it unbelievable to move through to to and and when we think about it, this is the beginning of every human being's life. So here we are in the very beginning of life, and it's sort of the uh, it's the threshold moment coming into this world, and in the very beginning, we are kind of asking our children to our babies, our infants to survive without their mothers for long periods of time. Uh, you know, most women are, are unable to, to nurse at this time because, or if they do, it's, it's only for about six months. I think that's the, the normal time frame now. When we know that that is the optimum nourishment, it's not, uh, it's not Bill Gates synthetic milk, Mm. That is the optimum nourishment for a child. It actually is 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 a breast milk. So this this from the very beginning is pulling us away from from our very nature. It, um. So I I'm I'm probably a generation that that caused some of that. <laughs> you know, it's so interesting because I had I had my babies in um, 
88, 90, and 96. Mm-hmm. And I was working as I was working in a corporation. I was working as an engineer back then. So I've had a lot of change in my life. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I um I I have a lot of regrets. I especially with my last one, my last one I was just kind of waking up to, you know, gosh, maybe I should have a home birth. I really I I feel once you get into the hospital, it's so mechanized. And yeah. and I become, you know, you put the brace, they get the bracelet on you. Now suddenly you're a procedure in their world. And it's the most amazing thing that's ever happened to me in my life and ever will happen to me in my life. It's the most special, amazing thing that, to have this, this child come out of me. I, I mean, it, it's, I, you, there's no words for that. And, you know, but I'm a procedure to them and I'm getting this poke and that poke and we got to call the doctor and this and that and all the machines. And it's like, oh, wow. I, I wish I had done home births, but, um, it was just something that was just beginning to be thought yeah. of again back yeah. in that time. Also yeah. getting back to work. It was, yeah. we, so I was kind of the, not quite the first, but I feel like I was like the second generation of women that were in the work workforce. And, you know, mm-hmm. we, we can have it all. I remember mm-hmm. though, doing a speech at Iowa State University. I was, I was invited to speak to the Society of Women Engineers to encourage them about engineering. And I remember I gave two speeches, one at Purdue and one at Iowa State. Mm. I wasn't asked back because I <laughs> wasn't encouraging. I was truthful. Mm. I stood up and I said, you can't have it all. Yes, You're going to make sacrifices. And if you choose to go back to work, you're going to make sacrifices. And um, I'm, I'm so anyway, I guess I'm getting off on me, but I, I really resonate with everything you said because you're you're talking about how the first moment of life, the first moment of life, our children are being split away from the earth and set on this kind of, you know, this path that ultimately ends up to transhumanism. But at the time, it doesn't look like that. But the mechanization of birth and the mechanization of child rearing. Yeah. And, and, and I would, you know, a lot of feminists would say, you know, we, it's we, we're so glad people are, you know, women are back to work and they're they're working just like men, just being like men. And now women are kind of awakening to wait a minute, you know, is this the right thing for everybody? So I really love that that's important to you and that you're really seeing that. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I would never judge another person fully for for their choices. I want to say, right, we all are on our own paths and we we are we are doing the best we can. But what I would say is we really need to look, we need to step back objectively at actually what is occurring. So, you know, for, yeah, so for right. what's true, uh, thousands, hundreds of thousands of years, the human you know, animal has birthed children and the woman has been with the child. And I'm not, you know, this is reality. This right. is the fact. And, and in fact, within... It, our our babies are so dependent upon us and they need us that those that you know they that fourth trimester in particular they are they absolutely need to be with us they need our the regulation of of our heartbeat they need to feel that they are you know are protected and um, there are so many studies and it's it's irrefutable that they, this is what, this is what the human being needs in that infant infancy. So 
in the in the stages of infancy and infancy development. So so we so just looking objectively, this is what's occurring in this culture. Mm-hmm. And I would go further to say that our wisdom lineage traditions have been stripped. And this has been a stripping away from the earth, a stripping away from what we know is is optimum for our lives and for our children and for life in general. Uh, And women for, you know, for millennia have, have, have given birth in, in groups and uh, have um, been guided by midwives and herbalists who held traditions that were passed down for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And that we were encouraged to listen to what I call the wisdom body. We were encouraged to tap into that deep, innate wisdom that we all have and to embody that wisdom to uh, to move through these different passages of life. And so with the <clears throat> stripping away of these wisdom lineages, with our ancestral knowledge, which we all have, uh, we all have experiences uh, with this deep indigenous ancestral wisdom and knowledge. We all come from cultures that spring from the earth and from this earth wisdom. and. With the stripping away, we have moved increasingly into a completely mechanized experience of life, which is entirely new when we look at the the, the trajectory of history. Yeah, yeah. all of all of humanity. Yeah, what we were really moving into. Yeah, and and you know, I I completely hear you. You you're not making anyone wrong for the choices they make because people a lot of people don't have choice. You know, like you say, they have to go back to work. So it's it's not like people are making the wrong choice but we have we have lost our sense of what is natural and what what we've kind of done to what 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 are the consequences of this society because what are the consequences and how do how do you how do people restore their wisdom body mm-hmm. i mean what do you is that so? I know you do ceremony work. Does your ceremony work help to restore the wisdom body? Yes. There, I think there are many, many avenues, ways to address this gap that we uh, that we have. In it's really a gap of knowledge. It's it's lineage. The lineages have been broken. This is uh, knowledge that we. This is human knowledge. Mm-hmm. The capacity to work with our own intuitive wisdom and with the signals that are naturally given within our body. This is the human technology that I was referring to before. The body is a miraculous organism and there are are so many systems within the body that are in incredible harmonic balance. And we are a beautiful expression of the natural world and that incredible balance that we that we see in the natural world and that is can be demonstrated through the natural world through nature and there are ways that we have been divorced from that so 
this divorce from from the wisdom body is such a it's such a key part of the work that I do and there are many ways to to engage this work and the first is really just beginning to come back more into sensation and to begin to listen to the cues of the body. You know, the body is a miraculous organism. There are so many systems that are in incredible balance and harmony or disharmony if we are in a toxic state, and many of us are. So this is the issue. This is, the, this is part of the issue, is that our world is so toxic on every level that it actually is preventing us from, from a clear stream of the body. And so listening at first is, is one of the very first things that I would say, listening to your feeling, your sensation, allowing yourself to experience your emotions, mm-hmm. allowing yourself to have thoughts and let them move through. Allowing, allowing everything to be a radical acceptance of your own visceral experience. And when we allow ourselves to have this, to begin to move into this radical acceptance, we begin to digest some of the material that needs to be digested. So in Ayurveda, we, we would say that we, we need to digest the all aspects of what is coming into our field, into our our body, our bodies. So that means we need to digest the sound. We need to digest the scent. We need to digest the food. We need to digest the, um, the physical experience. All of these things need to be properly digested through uh, our digestive fire. Mm. And that fire, that transformative element is what digests the, the, the food, the experience, the sensation. And if we do not digest that food or experience or sensation or emotion, then that experience becomes, uh, becomes a, almost a toxic sludge. Mm-hmm. It creates blockage on all levels of our bodies. So on a physical level, we are now, we are really being faced with a toxic food supply. We are being faced with glyphosate in our food. We genetically modified food, genetically created food. And people think that this, you know, that talking about transhumanism is, is sci-fi. We are eating genetically modified food. Mm-hmm. Glyphosate in, in of itself is an enormous toxin. We are facing enormous toxic load. Our air is polluted. Our water is polluted. Fluoride in the water. This is toxic. Many people don't know this. This is toxic. So how, So we have all of this toxic substance moving in and the body is doing its best. The body is an incredible organism and it's doing its best to move this through. And it's the same thing with our traumatic experience. It's the same thing with 
with the difficult experiences that we have moved through or not, if we have not allowed ourselves to digest that experience, it becomes ama, it becomes toxins in the, in the, in the energetic field. And so moving back to how do we connect to the wisdom body? We have to move into a path, first of all, of experiencing where we are and also into a conscious cleansing, into a conscious movement of allowing our body to purify what it has taken in. And all. Mm-hmm. And we are so out of balance. Our digestive system is so out of balance. Our, our biomes, we are really in a state of of dysbiosis, disharmony, and um, dysregulation to our own sacred organisms. And so so those are some of the ways. And then we can do deeper spiritual work, which is also some of what I uh, lead in women's ceremony in particular. And we can work with journey work. We can work with image work. We can work into our dream state. We can work with symbols and archetypes. And we can work with the the soul material of our lives. And we can begin on a very subtle level to transform these things. Digest these experiences. Yeah, I love the word digest. That's really interesting. And I think about, you know, how these things... All these screens have yeah. pull us completely out. Yes, you know, and and we're like latching on to um, the feedback from screens. Is what what's what's somebody telling me, or what's 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 something telling me? And it it really keeps us out outside of of our body. I I believe fundamentally. You talk about the human technology. I mean, to me, that's that's. God incarnate, like we have divine bodies, like there is, we are perfection. Mm-hmm. And culturally, we've normalized disease, like disease is normal. What's your disease? <laughs> you know, people get cancer, you know, back in the day, people got cancer and you're like, oh my gosh, really? Now it's kind of like, yeah, I'm yeah. going to yeah. happen to everybody. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's very normal. And People also are told what well, our, our longevity is so much longer than it used to be. We live so much longer. So of course we're more healthy. We live longer. People living into the 80s and their 90s, whereas the average person, you know, hundreds of years ago might live to 45. So mm-hmm. everything we're doing is better. But is it? You know, but is it? Mm-hmm. And and how could we be living now without the glyphosate, without the, you know, the um GMOs and everything that's mechanized? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and is there perhaps a balance uh, again of of finding the balance between uh, sustaining ourselves and yeah, sometimes you need to take those painkillers because it's it's the pain is too much and and it's understandable, but but also finding the balance where understanding that Tylenol isn't good for you, mm-hmm. it's actually a toxin, you know, mm-hmm. and we all we all must take these things sometimes and. Um, uh, some people don't at all and more power to them, you know, but uh, some people have really taken an incredible uh, line on, on this. And so, so where is the balance? And certainly we are completely out of balance and we have pulled ourselves further and further away from the, the living, breathing 
divinity of our own sacred bodies. We've completely taken ourselves out of that experience and moved into a really mechanized experience. I mean, as, as someone who is who has engaged in movement practices, taught movement practices my entire life, I one of the things that was has been most challenging for me to, to work with, and I really see it as a trauma response now, is the violent ways that people work with their bodies. Hmm. The and this is a trauma response. This is this is an expression of people's relationship to their own being. And this is what the culture is also asking us. So, so there is our culture, for some reason, our culture, many people have a hard time stepping back and saying there could be another way, mm-hmm. another way to imagine how to live or to be. And I see what's happening today as really a crisis of imagination mm-hmm. and a crisis of not being able to live into our own experience. People unwilling to even imagine another world. What is that beautiful Arundhati Roy quote, you know, uh, uh, imagining I, on a clear day, I can imagine another world and I can smell it. I can taste it. And that was a paraphrasing, but uh, but the feeling of that, the feeling of being able to imagine what a, a healthier world would be. I think that's the first step in really understanding where we are and understanding what's actually going on in our culture at large. I, I think, I think you're, you know, I think you're completely right. I think imagination is one of the divine gifts. I think imagination is, it's a power that we have. The ability to picture something that's not really in front of us. And I, I, I think we've been conditioned. I think there's a, there's a word for it and I can't remember the term, but we're, we've conditioned by like dystopian movies <laughs> and so, and books. And so when things start looking like mechanistic, then our, our, our minds go to, oh, that sounds like children of men, or that sounds like, you know, 1984, or that sounds like you know, hunger games or something. And we can imagine that because we've seen it, like it's been in front of us. We've seen the screen has fed this to us. And mm-hmm. there's something in our subconscious that has said, oh, that's the reality that we're headed towards. Because mm-hmm. there aren't very many, there are just a handful of movies that would show us something that's different. And I know you're not talking about movies telling us, but I think that's um, that programming cuts off our imagination. And so do you think that one of the things that we could be doing now is each individually imagining a a world, um, imagining, first of all, our our personal world, because that's what we can do something about that's different than what our cultural indoctrination has been, and then start imagining how would the whole world look, or how would my community look, how would my family look, how would my community look, how would my nation look how would my world look do you mm. think that that's something that we all all could or should be doing now yeah i think that's a beautiful idea and i think that is also what we do in ceremonial work is that we dive into um into into the mythic realm which really lives inside of our our bodies and psyche 
that we move into this psycho-spiritual realm and we begin to uh, open the mind and begin to experience other projections, other, other potentialities. And we, we, and we infuse other potentialities with energy. And so when you were, I think this is a really good point you make is these, all of these dystopic movies and that we've seen, it really has conditioned the field of consciousness. Uh-huh. We accept. Yeah, we do. This is, you know, oh, this is, this is, this is normal. This looks familiar. <laughs> this, you know, it's just familiar. Yeah. And take it out, you know, not good or bad, but just People recognize, and on a primal level, it's a recognition. And then that recognition activates that image. So, so we're not consciously choosing. We're not consciously choosing. Right. We're, we're playing you know, a film. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, you know, that film is being played to us. And then, and then we are projecting it out into the world. But how, what would it be like? And that is, a, so I think it's a really lovely question to pose to, to everyone. What, it, what would it be like if we begin to create our own projection? We begin to create our own movie of what it is that we really want. And in order to do that, we have to go deeper into our feeling body, into our experience. We have to be able to work with some of our trauma. You know, this is, a, a, this, this is really important. Only we can transmute that trauma. Only we can. And we can ask for help from from friends and 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 guides and teachers but ultimately it is it's it's really within it is only within our realm to transmute and perhaps you know one might say between you and and divinity or you and your god you know to really come to terms with what each of us have, has been through and i say this because we've all been through trauma and we've all experienced rupture and suffering and, and my goodness these last few years have been incredibly traumatic and so we've all been through these last three few years yeah, i don't think people recognize that we've been through a collective and individual trauma in the last two years and i think it's massive um yeah. and 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 i hear people talk about things like um well we're going to start our own food supplier we're going to do this we're going to do that which which are all great actions but there's still this enemy of the enemy that's out there and they're bad. And I, and I think that's just an indication that, that the healing hasn't been done. Mm. I, I, the, the one thing we can do, like you say, is heal our own trauma. It's probably the only thing we really can do. I don't know that we can go out mm. there and change the culture. Like you guys need to stop or I'm, I'm divorcing myself from you. But I think if, if each one of us did our inner work mm. then and then start living start living the life we want to live to the extent that we can maybe mm-hmm. you can't if you're in a smart city and but maybe you can if you've got a little garden you know or something so i i guess what i'm saying is i see a lot of people kind of awakening to this earth versus mechanistic duality or fork in the road but i see a lot of people avoiding the work <laughs> And still yeah. pointing the finger at those those people out there that are forcing yeah. this stuff on us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you know, I get it. It's infuriating, and um, it's infuriating to watch so much destruction 
so much suffering, so much pain, and so much wreckage. Um, and at the same time, I think you make a beautiful point that that the reality is is that well, there is a lot of fertile ground inside of each of us that is ready to be tended to, and if we each tend to that that fertile ground, if we each tend to our lineages of trauma, we be, if we begin to do the healing, the deeper healing work, if we begin to heal the lines, which is a great offering. It's not a selfish work. This is a great offering to one's family, whether the family is aware of it or not, to work to transmute the suffering and the pain that that your lineage has moved through. And yeah, then- and I can I can think of in myself I can think of some stories that my grandmother told mm-hmm. that my father told about grand you know his grandparents. I can think of some of those stories, but I've never really thought about them other than stories that are interesting. But but these are these are things that that you're saying that like like do they they impact me or is it just you want to heal that for the sake of the collective? Mm-hmm. I am saying both that these these especially in our world where we know so little of our family families we truly know so little of the traditions mm-hmm. and the secrets and the traumas you know that each of our families has has lineages of suffering to be mm-hmm. healed some more than others some people know of their their lineages more than others and i would say that they directly impact our lives i feel them in my own self the ways in which i'll speak for myself the ways in which they've held me back the ways in which these the these certain experiences which which have been mysterious to me, parts of my own personality, which which get revealed when I hear stories of my own family, when I understand both negatively and positively that um, that this that that lineage is alive in me, and until I recognize, especially if it's if it's really pushing on me, if there's some if there's some trauma. Until I kind of do that digestive work and honor and recognize and transmute and transcend the suffering, move it into the larger field of possibility, then it remains a blockage for me. And I carry it forward and I pass it on. I pass it on to my child and so forth and so on. Okay. So if somebody who's listening wants to do that, what would they do? Do uh, uh, want want to help heal the lineage of the trauma? Yeah. Well, I would say that to learn your family's stories and to begin to feel into them as well, to examine your own felt experience in relationship to these stories, mm-hmm. and to notice how they live inside of you. And also you can, uh, and now also connect to the the power lineages. You know, I have a, my grandmother who passed on several years ago, um, really has acted in in a way, I would say, as a, uh, for me, a very powerful figure. 
And I didn't even realize it when I was alive. I didn't realize the love that she was infusing um, her food with, the way that she was Uh caring for me in an unspoken way. And, you know, and when when I sensed back into her life, she was a farm girl. And one of eight. And she... Uh, she, you know, she lived her life in nature. She and she was incredibly uh, creative as well. And she also was sort of like a makeshift herbalist. So, you know, she was in World War II. She was also a nurse. And so all of these things, you know, she was she was a healer. She was an herbalist. Mm-hmm. She was a mother. She loved to cook for her family. She, you know, for us, and, and she would make these meals every Sunday night. And this was how she sh- she shared this love. And and so understanding that through that energetically, she was really passing along a a it wasn't just love. It was a way of being in relationship to the world, to life, to nature. And she was sort of moving it through my system, I feel. And she and, and at now, as she's passed on, I feel her presence even stronger as a holder of sacred femininity. Wonderful. Yeah. The, the women's wisdom lines, a protector. And how that has streamed through me, you know, and these are all topics that, that I have engaged very differently, but in the same way in my life, you know, these, the, the, the creative, the healing, the um, desire to embody my own life and to honor my sacred uh, feminine nature. And to claim that and to claim the rise of that, to claim the rise of femininity and and not in a masculine way. Right. There's right. nothing wrong with that. There is nothing wrong. When I am claiming this, yeah. I'm not, there's nothing wrong with anyone who experiences any differently or, 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 a, uh, you know, but claiming my own sacred feminine nature is part of my lineage and part of my soul story. And my grandmother has been a massive part of that in the way that she infused that into her food. Yeah. You know, beautiful. It- yeah. I think that's really helpful. Um, uh, gosh, I'm looking at the time. I want to wrap up, but we've, you've taught, you've given a lot of wisdom and I want to give you the chance to say whatever last few words you want to say, but I, I am really inspired about your story of your grandmother because you, you conjured up images of my, my own grandmother and how, she infused her loving energy into the food and the way she wrapped Christmas presents. I mean, I can just see her hands wrapping those Christmas presents so perfectly. And I haven't given it a thought until you just brought this up. So I'm going to do some of this work myself and integrate her into my being. Um, mm. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Do you want to say anything um, t- before we close? Well, I would say... I would say that each of us are so uniquely beautiful and powerful in our own ways and not to be afraid to dive into your own inner experience and to really claim your own healing. It is necessary to claim our own healing and our empowerment and to 
And through that, to begin to individuate ourselves, each of us, from the collective. Because what we're seeing right now is a, a, a sort of a mass hive experience of reality. And what I would say is that's not the only reality. That is not the only reality. And in fact, the more that we go in, the more that we connect with our own body, the more that we connect with our own soul and with our own spirit, we begin to expand. We begin to expand our awakening. We begin to move the natural process of awakening through the body, which is a conjoinment of the sacred energies inherent within the body, masculine and feminine, the yin yang, the Shiva, the Shakti. And these energies conjoin and they come together and they rise and they make us even more of ourselves. They don't erase who we are. They don't make us invisible. They make us who we are. They allow us to become who we actually are, are meant to be. And so I would say that each person, my wish for every human being on this planet is the time, the space, and the ability to connect with that sacred aspect of their, themselves so that they can feel that divine ecstatic experience in their own life. So I just need to ask a couple of clarifying questions. When you talk yes. about high reality, what you're talking about is kind of like a group think or that like the whole whole group says this. And so therefore I must say this, or this whole group believes this and, and I must believe this to be, and being part of a group is really more, has more value to being the individual sovereign divine self. Yes. And I think that we're, yes, I think that exactly that, that we're living in a time when there is sort of a right way to think and a wrong way to think, mm -hmm. quote unquote. And the the dominant culture, I would say, has become extremely um, totalitarian. Mm -hmm. And it's very dangerous. It's a very dangerous place to be, even though they might be espousing all these uh, virtuous- the Positive values, yeah. Positive, right. positive values. In actuality, what they are, what is being pushed is a mass- sort of formation. It is a, uh, a consensus state. And to go against that consensus state, to say anything which is in juxtaposition to this consensus state is deemed dangerous now. Of course, we have, you know, uh, fact checkers and people all over policing, policing thought. I never thought in my life I, I would live to see a time where we were we had this level of surveillance, mm -hmm. which is only moving more and more quickly into into a sort of a biomedical surveillance state, which is really the transhuman. This is the emergence with man and machine, because when there is that ability to monitor not only you know your uh, your Facebook posts, but when there's the ability to monitor, monitor your biometrics, we're moving into a very dangerous territory. You know, when the state is collecting this kind of kind of data, but this is seen as as normal. You know, mm -hmm. so what I'm saying is, 
anyone at this point who says this, hey, let's have, let's talk about what's actually occurring is, is seen as deviant. Yes. Yeah. From the high, from the consensus. Yeah. And I think that people are confused. I I need to write about this because I think people are confused about what the divine human looks like. Mm-hmm. And I think people think that that the divine looks like the divine human looks like we're all one big blob, you know, like we all think the same and we're all living in peace the same and we're all we're all in line. Or we're all we have so much in common or something. I don't know yeah. what it is, but the divine human is not the group. I think that we are social beings and we need groups, but yeah. the divine human is very autonomous. The divine human can make its own decisions based on the guidance within them when they're very connected to their mm-hmm. soul and, and their higher self and doesn't need an outer authority to tell them to do this or to do that. And I think people are confused that the divine human <laughs> will yeah. just be good. Or something like that. It's a great point. Yeah. yeah. I think that this sort of, uh, not that I don't believe in oneness consciousness, but this notion of erasure of the ego, the erasure of the self to become il- illuminated, this is very confusing. Mm-hmm. And I think it has confused a lot of people uh, along their way. Uh, and sort of this erasure of your individuality, the erasure of so in, in yoga and Ayurveda, the ahamkar, the ego, it's, it's not only, it's not a negative thing. It's not, it's neither negative nor positive. It is the individuation experience. And we need that. Right. If you do not have an individuated experience and you do awaken, then you will be very, very confused. It, 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 it's not, it's not a healthy experience. And there are many um, examples, I think, of people who have an awakening experience, but because they don't have a center, and this is where we can talk about it physically, because there is no center, then the, the whole consciousness becomes dissipated. And, and it's easily pushed around. It's easily taken down. It's easily overwhelmed. and. So the individuation process, as you're, as you're speaking to, is really key in understanding who we are and becoming more and more mm-hmm. who we are. And as you say, the, the divine human, mm-hmm. we don't erase ourselves right. to become <laughs> divine. We, we become more of who our soul is and we connect into the larger aspect force of our spirit and then spirit speaks through us spirit speaks through us yes yeah i think i think that's wonderful okay well marie i think we could keep talking but um for our listeners i think we'll say goodbye (laughs) it's been really great having you and it's just been really an interesting conversation and i really appreciate you know another that sees the two roads and this transition that we're in and I, I just love the way you are inspiring people about the divine feminine and motherhood and the the lineage and all the things you talked about. I think it gives us a lot to to think about and then to feel and then to like embody. <laughs> yes. How do we embody? That's the great question. Great yeah. work. The great work. 
the great Thank work, you. the hero's journey. Thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed this conversation with you today. Oh, it was really my pleasure. And I, and I always appreciate the generous listening of, of all the listeners out there. And um, I know that they were really, really blessed by this. So thank you, Murray. And I now close the spiritual forum. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, you can let me know by leaving a positive rating and review on your favorite podcast app or make a tax-deductible donation at thespiritualforum.org. The Spiritual Forum is a podcast, prayer, and retreat ministry affiliated with Unity Worldwide Ministries. Thank you again for being a part of the Spiritual Forum community. And remember, you are an amazing, divine, and powerful being.